All right, so welcome to another episode of Inside IALR. Um, this is a little bit more fun for us on the production end because right now we are, normally we, we produce this in, in one of our conference rooms, but right now we are inside the uh, Industry 4.0 Integration Lab and in our Center for Manufacturing Advancement, and we're here with Butch Kendrick, who's our Director of Digital Manufacturing. Butch, thanks for being here. appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. So to start, I think it'd be, it'd be good if you can just kind of give us a high-level of what this Industry 4.0 lab is, what its purpose is here at, at, in the Center for Manufacturing Advancement. Okay, it's the Industry 4.0 lab really has two purposes. Uh, the first one is it's a demonstration lab. Uh, and what I mean by demonstration lab is it's available for local manufacturing uh, customers to come in and see the demonstration of newer or high technology solutions for manufacturing problems. Uh, the second uh, portion of the purpose for the lab is the fact that it's here for training also. It's a perfect venue for uh, manufacturing engineering students to come from uh, places like ODU to come in and actually be able to put their hands on uh, manufacturing without actually going into a real factory to see the ins and outs of uh, how manufacturing is managed uh, far as process flow and those types of things. What exactly is Industry 4.0? I mean, I know generally that means high, higher technology, higher levels of technology, but what is Industry 4.0 and how does that differ from previous iterations of industry? Well, industry, uh, it's actually uh, an evolution or for Industry 4.0. It started out uh, with Industry 1, and Industry 1 was uh, with water wheels and belts and those types of things, and then it progressed to, uh, to electricity with uh, conveyor belts, uh, the Henry Ford era with uh, automotive mm -hmm. mass production and then uh, industry 3.0 which is what I like to tell people that I grew up in uh, it was a mix of uh, some of the older stuff but it was starting to get some electronics and smarter controls into manufacturing uh, and some robotics mm -hmm. on a very uh, primitive manner or manner I should say um, but it uh, in industry 3.0 one of the biggest problems that management had was gaining enough uh, information on their processes to be able to make intelligent decisions about uh, what to do for its changes and making things more productive. Mm -hmm. So with the advent of uh, the Internet, that was, I think, the impetus of bringing Industry 4.0 uh, into, into view. Uh, for several years there, you heard of things called Industry or Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Internet of Things was devices. People had a vision that devices, any device could be hooked up to the internet, could be given an address, and could be um, accessed from basically anywhere in the world. So that uh, technology 
finally made its way into manufacturing in the uh, term industrial internet of things, IIoT. And all the devices and stuff that uh, are used in manufacturing, uh, temperature sensors, pressure sensors, speed controls, those types of things, they were starting to give those that same type of capability mm -hmm. uh, with uh, addresses so that they could communicate outside of the factory floor. So th what that ended up doing was it ended up given the capability to create a lot more information about the processes that were going on in in that facility. So now that presented another problem. Uh, in Industry 3.0, there wasn't enough information for people to make <laughs> decisions with. Now in Industry 4.0, management is drowning in information, mm -hmm. so much information that it's hard for them to make a logical assessment of what they need to do with that information. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, cloud computing and taking all of this information and putting it into a usable form uh, for management to look at and make a quick decision. One of the things you don't hear a whole lot about um, is there's a term called the fog and the fog is a uh, instance of the cloud except it's on a local basis it's within the facility itself it runs cloud applications within the facility mm -hmm. without having the need to take it out and take it to the internet to start out with mm -hmm. so what that does is it allows you to run some of these data analytics that uh, will uh, allow you to parse your information and get it more into a usable form for management to take uh, reasonable, make reasonable decisions from. Mm -hmm. So Industry 4.0 is basically a way to uh, gather information in a more efficient manner and be able to interpret that information and be able to make uh, decisions in a much more accurate manner and know the predictions of how the outcome is gonna be from those decisions. And a lot of that involving automation, robotics, things, things yes. like that. So in, in this lab here, we're focused on the, more on that robotics and automation side of it, or we're also looking at the the cloud computing and the data analytics and analytics is that are, are we sort of trying to help companies with both sides of that? We would we would eventually be doing both sides of it, but right now we're we're still focusing on the automation piece of it because we haven't completed this lab at this point yet. Uh, with the original design, it it is not completed. Once once we get all the automation integrated and everything talking the way we want it to then we'll bring in the manufacturing execution system, put it on top of it, and then it will be the ultimate control. And it will not only be the control, it can be the decision maker and be able to parse that information and provide it to management to make those decisions with. And that's where the 
uh, that would be the connector for the engineering, manufacturing engineering students to come in and work with that. Uh, in the lab itself, uh, the automation would be a good place for, for manufacturing technicians to come and learn the technology because one of the things that Industry 4.0 has done that I think people have not followed the curve, so to speak, is the integration of disparate systems together. Uh, one of the things that I noticed in my career in, in manufacturing was uh, we did some really unique projects, but anytime we brought in manufacturing equipment from uh, different manufacturers, that became the sticky point. How do you get those to talk to each other? And, and a lot of times it was in a very crude manner that you did it. You used actually discrete I.O. inputs and outputs from each one of those devices and tied them together. So the, it was very uh, rigid and uh, very limited as to how much they could communicate with each other. Well, now uh, in this lab, you don't see any of that type of, uh, of technology in place. Everything in this lab is networked together. Because with, with the example you gave, you're talking about there has to be a physical connection between them, and they're basically uploading folders back and forth is the way Correct. you explain that to me, yeah. right? So with, uh, there is one control network in here that ties all of these machines together, and then it's the machine that has to have the right protocol to be able to speak the language, so to speak. So that, that has been somewhat of a challenge uh, in bringing up this lab, not necessarily on the areas like programmable logic controllers, but when you get into talking about uh, things like behind me here, the autonomous mobile robot, uh, there's a little bit extra work you got to do to make, make those two items communicate with each other and do it in an in a efficient way. But we've accomplished that, and that is, I think, a, a big accomplishment for this lab because two years ago when we started the design of this lab, there was a lot of people watching that and saying that it, it was, it hadn't been done yet. So that was that what you said that what hadn't been done. It hadn't the communications and uh, the integration of autonomous mobile robots into automation had not been very successful. There was a lot of hurdles that had to be overcome. Uh, repeatability, position repeatability accuracy, those types of things, and, and the actual integration of communications between the, the AMR and the, the systems that it tends to. So all of that now has been taken care of, and two years later, we're now starting to see other people are starting to do the same thing, except we just started earlier. So you kind of mentioned it, you know, with the autonomous ro mobile robot. But tell us a little bit about the 
the actual processes that will be happening in this lab um, as far as what are the different machines, the different robots, how do they work together, what sort of processes are they going to be completing? This lab in itself is uh, like a, it's what you would see in a modern manufacturing facility. This would be what would be considered a manufacturing cell. Modern factories are made up of cells and your value streams or your processes or your uh, product flows, it flows from one cell to the next. And uh, this would just be an example of one of them. So the raw materials would come in behind me here and go to the first operation, <clears throat> which is the, uh, the horizontal two spindle lay back here and this yellow robot back here his responsibility is to tend that machine. Well, tending a machine means doing what an operator used to do. Um, it will take the raw materials that that machine needs to do its operation, perform its operation on, and load it into the machine. And then it will also instruct the machine what to do with it. Um, and then once the machine has completed a finished part or performed its operation on that part, the machine will tell the robot, yeah, I'm ready for you to come and pick up this part and then take this part out and give me another piece of raw material. So that's what's called machine tending. So it tends that lay and then that, that finished part would be put on the table in front of the lay, and then the AMR here would be summoned by the MES system to pick it up and then take it on to uh, the next station, uh, depending on what the MES system had been set up to do. In most cases, it would be to go to the um, inspection conveyor, which is to the right of me over here, or to the left of me, excuse me. Um, and it has a variety, or will have a variety, of test equipment on it to, to test uh, physical dimensions, uh, maybe even color. It could be, it could check many different things. There will also be a 3D laser engraver on that uh, line that will be able to put markings on that part, whatever we decide it needs to have on there. And when I say a 3D engraver, uh, most laser engravers only engrave on a two-axis plane, X and Y. So you have to, if you have a part that's not perfectly flat, then you have to move that part in order to make the uh, part or the markings come out right on a curve, like a curved surface. But this particular laser has a Z-axis control also. So a curved part could set stationary and it could get a marking on there that's perfectly undistorted. Um, so once that's done, then the AMR would be summoned back to pick up that part again and take it on to the next operation, which would be uh, a vertical mill, which is further down the line and then an operation would be performed there if needed. And in this case, the AMR would tend that machine. 
which is uh, a major feat for us because that's one of the things that we were told would be very, very difficult to do, and we've we've been able to successfully accomplish that. Once that's done, then we go over to a coordinates measuring machine and do final uh, dimensional testing on the part, and then the part is brought back over here to behind me to my right to the two-armed robot, and that two-armed robot will package that part and prepare it for shipping, and then it'll come down that circular conveyor uh, that's in front of the two-arm robot, and then the AMR will pick that part up and take it over to uh, an area that we've deemed as our automatic storage and retrieval uh, location. So basically what you're describing is that you're getting a raw piece of material, running it through several processes, make, turning it into a packaged, finished product that's ready to go without a human hand ever touching it. That's exactly. could be a lights-out operation, too. Uh, and that's what we're planning on. Someone comes in um, and goes to the, the squeaks board, which is a large board that's in here, sets up the part, sets up the number of pieces they want to make, ensures the raw materials are loaded down on the uh, input end, and they walk out, turn the lights out, and they don't come back until everything's done. That's really cool. Um, and you mentioned the, you know, people, there, there was doubt about the, whether the autonomous mobile robot could work in this environment, and the, I know you used the word repeatability and, and accuracy. Um, talk a little bit about that, that process of getting that to work because I, as you said that was a big accomplishment and I know that's I mean the this robot basically can identify a point in space and go back exactly to that point over and over exactly uh, before we had the lab uh, finished here we used a CMM coordinates measuring machine to actually uh, create some data on how well we could position uh, both the the AMR and the arm that's on the AMR. And the arm was giving us some pretty, pretty outstanding repeatability. Uh, we were down to three decimal places with the accuracy on that. Um, and most of the time, if we had any error at all, it was just one thousandth of an inch of uh, repeatability. Uh, then once we introduced the, the cart portion of the AMR into it and it would travel away from that location and then travel back and reposition itself and then the arm would do the same exercise, um, it, the error was uh, 39 microns, which was our goal was to stay under 50, so we had accomplished what we set out to do. What is 39 microns in terms of, like how big is 39 microns? Not much bigger than a hair, so it's uh, it was pretty pretty impressive. You mentioned earlier too, I wanna circle back to something you, 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 you mentioned briefly, the, um, that when you, were in it, when, in, when you were in industry, you know, a lot of the pieces of equipment, if there are different you know, from different providers, they didn't work together. They, you, you couldn't get them to communicate effectively. Um, I know I've, I've heard you talk before about, in this lab, you intentionally, you intentionally have a bunch of different 
brands and technology providers, correct? Right. Um, what's what's the goal behind that, and what has that been like getting getting them to communicate together? I, I will admit it's not as easy as using all the, the equipment from the same manufacturer, <laughs> but it's doable, mm-hmm. and that's what we set out to prove. And uh, when it's all said and done, when we get completed with this first phase, I, I try to not use the term when, we, when we're done with this lab because uh, my vision is we'll never be done with this lab because uh, there'll always be new technology evolving and we always want to keep this lab on the cutting edge of technology. It's, we want to keep all of this documented so that when students come in, we can show them it, it's doable. You don't have to be dependent on manufacturers for uh, communications anymore. Mm-hmm. Where there's a will, there, there's a way. <laughs> You're, you know, talking about those future technologies. What are some of the? What are some of the? I know some of them. We don't know. We don't know what some of them are yet. But what are some of the technologies or processes that you see that? pretty soon in the next few years you would imagine would be we would be trying to integrate into this lab well one of the things i think that's eventually going to be in here uh probably sooner than later is additive manufacturing uh and the reason being uh with robots you have grippers and with grippers you've got fingers well those fingers are somewhat dependent on the type of part that you're working with. So you've got to create uh, an inventory, or I call it a library of fingers, <laughs> based on your, your parts. So, and also fixtures, where you set parts down to perform certain operations on them. They require uh, different ones, just like the fingers. So additive manufacturing is a perfect complement to uh, a modern manufacturing operation because you can sit down with a 3D CAD software and design your own and print them yourself. And then that way you're not going out trying to find something that fits your need. You customize it and make it yourself. And I've, I've heard you talk before about the how the robot knows where to go and you know right now it's based on basically you know coordinates but is is computer vision and robotic vision is that something that you would see being incorporated in, in, into this lab as well yes we we have that capability right now but we have not implemented it uh i've implemented it in the past just for demonstration purposes mm-hmm. but that was our sort of an ace up the sleeve, too, on the repeatability and accuracy of the AMR. Uh, we had created monuments in front of these machines that the lasers could measure going into that machine, and that's how we get that really tight accuracy mm-hmm. on the positioning. Well, if, if that still didn't get us below that 50 microns, there was one more thing that we could do, and that involved uh, robotic vision. And what it would be is a monument that you would put on 
a machine someplace and the monument just being like a, a target. And it would stick on and then you would record the coordinates of that on the robot. And then every time the robot would come to that location, the first thing the arm would do is go uh, find that monument, check its coordinates against it, and if there was any error, then it would offset all the moves it's going to make for that particular operation by the error that's built into that <laughs> monument. And that would, would again, improve the uh, accuracy. Mm -hmm. So I see that now is you're talking about the future. In the future, 39 microns might not be good enough, but it is right now. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I think hearing hearing you talk about that, you know, that this this lab isn't done and that, you know, we're going to continue looking into future technology. I think that sort of matches the mindset of the our IALR as a whole, you know, that we're, especially in the manufacturing advancement side, the research side, um, really all of our divisions. I mean, we're, we're always trying to move forward and be on, be on the forefront of those things, whether it be, you know, the, the types of research that's, that's happening, um, or for even for, you know, the, the workforce training programs we're doing, you know, we're always trying to be on the cutting edge and not just do something because that's how it's been done in the past. So that's really cool to see this lab, how that, that has really manifested and will continue to, to play out. Um, but Butch, that's, that's all the questions that I have. I mean, I think this lab, I've, I've been fascinated from the first time I came in here and, and hear, heard you explaining how all these pieces fit together. Um, it's really, really complex. I mean, I think every time I come in, I learn a little, little something new um, about how all the different pieces work together. And um, I think it's really, really cool to, to cool to see that. But that's, like I said, that's, that's all the questions that I have. I mean, is there anything else that you would want to add or any, any parting thoughts you would want to share? I would just like to say we want to make sure that people know we're here. And we want to share the technology and uh, the understanding of technology with anybody that, that needs it or is interested in it. And, you know, if a company is interested in, in, in the technology and capabilities happening here, how, what, what should they do? Uh, they should contact us, uh, contact me and we'll set up a time for them to come in and we'll discuss with them what their what their problem is or their issue and and how we might be able to help them okay yeah well definitely i think this you know this lab has a lot of capabilities and and as you've been talking about those those capabilities and technologies are going to continue to grow so butch thanks for being here we really appreciate it you're quite welcome thank you Megabytes ILR's on-site cafe features everyday favorites, convenient ordering options, and an eager staff ready to welcome and serve you. Our enticing menus offer something for everyone from a fresh, well-stocked salad bar, wraps, sandwiches, and our rotating hot buffet offered on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Megabytes is open Monday through Friday from 9.15 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. To view menus and for more information, visit ilr.org slash megabytes.